Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. On Commons People this week, Theresa May is forced to go long. The choices we now face are stark and the timetable is clear. Her Tory MPs don't like it. Here we are, heading towards Halloween. There is some symbolism in that, I think. But will Labour help the PM out? Not really been any fundamental shift uh, of a change in position in the deal itself, but we're hopeful that progress will be made. We're continuing discussions with the government over the coming days. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Paul War and I'm in the chair this week as our usual host, Arj Singh, has only just hot-footed it from Brussels and is, to use the old English vernacular, well and truly cream-crackered. Uh, welcome, Arj, or bonjour, maybe bonjour. you saying. Um, very pleased you've made it. Um, literally straight from King's Cross, St Pancras. And also joining us is Ned Simons for his usual wit and wisdom. Hello, guys. Right. Wit? I don't know if I've got any of that today. <laughs> Lots of it. Okay, so the EU summit decided to reject Theresa May's plea for a short delay to Brexit to the end of June. Instead, it's opted to keep us in the block until October 31st, or until Parliament comes up with a majority for the withdrawal agreement, or something like that. Anyway, here's Donald Tusk explaining the big historic decision. Let me finish with a message to our British friends. This extension is as flexible as I expected and a little bit shorter than I expected, but it's still enough to find the best possible solution. Please do not waste this time. And here's Theresa May's response. Let me conclude by saying this. I know that there is huge frustration from many people that I had to request this extension. The UK should have left the EU by now, and I sincerely regret the fact that I have not yet been able to persuade Parliament to approve a deal which would allow the UK to leave in a smooth and orderly way. But the choices we now face are stark and the timetable is clear. So we must now press on at pace with our efforts to reach a consensus on a deal that is in the national interest. Tomorrow I will be making a statement to the House of Commons. Further talks will also take place between the government and the opposition to seek a way forward. I do not pretend that the next few weeks will be easy or there is a simple way to break the deadlock in Parliament, but we have a duty as politicians to find a way to fulfil the democratic decision of the referendum, deliver Brexit and move our country forward. Nothing is more pressing or more vital. Arj, what was the key moment last night in setting this new date? I mean, and how did her pitch go down in the room? Well, it was really interesting, actually. I thought the key moment was actually when she arrived and faced the first doorstep on the red carpet on the way in. Um, She was asked about this commitment to seeking only an extension to June 30, and she'd suggested she might resign if it went any further than that. But she was asked about it on the red carpet, and she basically just said 
well, that's not that important anymore. What matters is we get a break clause, so if we pass a deal, we can exit once we pass the deal, and her aim is to do that before we have to take part in European elections. So she basically abandoned her... Um, Red line. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's barely any left now. That's fascinating, isn't yeah. it? So she, she was obviously teeing up the rest of the EU, saying, look, all right, although I'm saying I want June 30th, I don't really. That was kind of the approach, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely, and she spent... Uh, an hour-long Q&A session with EU leaders, essentially explaining that she believes that these talks with Labour have been productive and that it can eventually lead to a deal. And so, you know, give her time, but give her this opportunity to get out because she thinks she can do one quickly. Whether whether that's true or not, we'll see. But it's quite funny, actually, just before she went into this high-pressure grilling where she's really been caught out before, we saw her and Angela Merkel really having a great laugh about something on Angela Merkel's iPad. Uh, and we should have actually noticed Donald Tusk's reaction where he was kind of just like, yeah, it's kind of kind of funny. yeah." <laughs> because a few minutes later, we found out that it was just a picture of them both wearing the same jack- coloured jackets. I know. If you look at May, though, in that clip, like Merkel obviously finds it hilarious. And I don't think May thinks it's that funny, but sort of looks like she's thinking, oh, I better say this is really funny so Merkel likes me so she gives me what I want. Yeah. It's, all a bit it's like... quite something when someone outdolls May. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what Angela Merkel did. Pretty much, like, yeah. Extraordinary. It was, it, was, it was the hot news of the summit for, for about half an hour until we found out what was actually going on. Yeah. yeah. It sounded like everyone was just desperate for bits and pieces. Definitely. Um, and and um, through the night, it sounded as though obviously the real business happened after she left the room and, and Merkel and Macron had their sort of, you know, uh, constructive argument. And it sounds as though, um, you know, it is a classic Brussels compromise, doesn't it? He wanted a really short one, she wanted a long one, so they cut the difference in two and went for October. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And bizarrely, even though Theresa May wasn't really arguing for a June extension anymore, it was Emmanuel Macron who was arguing for a short extension that Theresa May wanted even though he was trying to play hardball with the UK and threatening no deal and no extension and so on, actually, he was the one arguing for May's extension. And yes, um, one uh, EU official said he needed pulling down from his tree uh, and needing a ladder to climb down because he'd just come in, you know, wanting his de Gaulle moment uh, and really playing hardball, saying he was impatient and demanding clarity and all sorts. And eventually, yeah, they just kind of met in the middle. That's fascinating. So, Ned... um I mean, is Macron now the new Eurosceptic's Euros- <laughs> new friend, the best friend? Well, they quite like that, didn't they? I mean, one Tory MP on Twitter today said a Brexiteer was saying how Macron's, you know, showing what real friendship is like, hoping for kind of more distant relationship. And the idea, I think, that Jacob Rees-Morgan, Mark Francois, was saying this week about, you know, if the UK gets trapped in the EU, then we can mess with it from the inside, which is what Macron was kind of suggesting uh, Britain might do if we were there for a year. But I think it's overdone. I mean, he was one guy in the room. Uh, outnumbered by everyone else, and and also Juncker in a press conference. So was it one a.m. Or I forget what time they spoke. It's about two two a.m. You know, Juncker was quite quick to say, "Look, Britain's always been troublesome, yeah. but they never they don't always get what they want, and it's qualified majority voting on on most most big decisions. So really, what's changed? And that's not really. Well, this is interesting, actually, because part of May's pitch was to say, you don't need to worry about us disrupting the EU if we remain a member for longer, because look, we've been sincere. Um, uh, friends of the EU while while we've been going through this Brexit thing we've been co- cooperating on migration and all sorts of other areas and, and EU leaders actually said you know what fair and enough and that's, that's what Tusk true. said as well didn't he he yeah. said you know we're not worried about that at all we totally trust May's government to act properly as it were they have done so I, I think that kind of the the wish that from the Brexiteers that Britain would act up 
I don't think it's really going to happen. And the fear from Macron that we will, even if it's manufactured for a domestic audience, I'm not sure about that either. Skillfully manufactured by him. I think what's quite really curious is that they're trying to Boris-proof Brexit, just as you know, Labour's trying to Boris-proof Brexit. But actually, just imagine if Boris or Dominic Raab actually did a sort of Nixon in China, having arrived as Prime Minister with all these hard Brexit credentials and suddenly were really cooperative on things like security, on things like migration. Just imagine how that might actually change the tone. They they would have a hard line about, you know, money and borders and all that stuff. But, you know, I think that's where we could be heading, having talked to a few of the people around both of them. So, you know, it could be interesting this next few six months. But anyway, right. Back here in Blighty, a sleep-deprived Prime Minister faces an even tougher crowd than the EU27 when she tries to get up this afternoon to make her common statement. Now, many MPs will be trying to get more clues on her departure date. She had a foretaste of the unrest about all this on Wednesday night when Ian Duncan-Smith hinted darkly on the BBC that the Cabinet should now take matters into their own hands and force May to go, and go soon. Um, we have this nightmare of European elections in the midst of all this where you know, the Prime Minister said endlessly, we will not fight European elections. You know, all the time, no deal's better than a bad deal, and yet we've got rid of any end stops at the moment. So we could end up fighting European elections, and then maybe two months later we would no longer be in the European Union, so we'd have spent £100 million. I think we are getting close to the point where the Cabinet's going to have to make some choices about really where the Conservative Party in government is actually going. So the Prime Minister's agreed to go, uh, as everyone knows, but we're not quite sure when. Um, Arj, perhaps the most interesting thing about what happened in Brussels was actually not maybe in the room, that that weird coloured room that they all sit around, um, but it's actually in Number 10's head and the sort of clarity they were giving to hacks like you about what the PM was going to do next. Yeah, it was really interesting. So obviously Theresa May last month promised to stand down once Brexit is delivered in an effort to get her withdrawal deal through. It didn't go through. So now we're looking at a long delay, as we've just talked about. And Brexiteers are kind of going, well, when's she going? And, you know, what we could glean from Brussels in speaking to senior Tories was that actually it's not a timeline that she set out last month to stand down. It's more an event line. So she plans to basically stay around until we get out of the EU. So that could be months. It could be until Halloween which is the new date, it could be longer if we get another extension and it'd be really interesting to see how Tory Brexiteers react to that. I think that's really fascinating and the timing of it's fascinating that they made that clear to you guys out there in Brussels very obviously ahead of today. They're just sort of putting down a marker. We're basically going nowhere unless we sort out this bloody deal, unless you get phase one done. I think it's quite interesting. They don't say it as clearly as that. We'll have to wait and see this afternoon whether or not she's as clear. I doubt she's very clear, but there is, there is a message that they're all getting, isn't there, Ned? Um, I mean, will she, will she? can she last a party I, conference? I'm going to take a punt and say yes. Right. I just think, um, you know, like you said, she set out an event that will trigger her to go, not a time. She has no reason, she can't be forced out now until December. I don't see why necessarily she would quit. I think there'll be loads of political pressure will build. You'll have local elections very soon. Tories could get a drubbing. European elections, where it could be an absolute bloodbath for the Conservatives. Even in normal times, that might be a case where a leader would go. I just kind of get this sense. She's just going to not leave. It just as there's deadlock in Parliament over, kind of, over Brexit, I think there's deadlock almost about what to do. She's holding them hostage until she decides to go. 
I don't see why necessarily she would. Yeah, I think it takes. I mean, real... we're recording this before her statement, and knowing yeah. my luck, she'd up stand up and quit. But that, <laughs> if I'm going to pick a side, I'm going to yeah. go with that. I, I find that unlikely as well that she quit. Yeah, soon. Watching Theresa May at this summit, she doesn't look like any like she's about to quit at all. Um, yeah, she she looked, if not happy, kind of brisk and wanting to get on with the job and you know clear-eyed about the challenges ahead and very much in her mind you could tell was that she is going to be the yeah. one who takes us and, through the next few months and if you want a legacy if she wants a legacy she's going to want it to be at least getting the exit bit done well she want her legacy to be an extension yeah like why would you why would you accept that after all she's been through yeah unless it does become too much personally. well the, the thing is she's now got a bit more control over her own destiny hasn't she after last night i mean that's the really important thing and i think actually there will be a massive clamour for a Tory summer leadership contest with a new person paraded at party conference. Um, but that all depends now on whether she's in the next, this period after Easter, between Easter and the summer recess, whenever that is. And we don't know all these dates yet. That's the massively intensive period next. It really is. Because it can't go beyond the summer, This the Brexit issue in Parliament. It's got to be resolved, I'm convinced, before the summer. Well, there is, in the deal that was done, the extension deal that was done last night, there is another cliff edge, which is June the 1st. So basically, if we don't pass a deal by the first couple of weeks of May, the PM actually mentioned these these dates last night, then we've got a decision to make. Do we take part in European elections or do we leave with no deal? And that will be another pressure point, I think, for the it's Prime interesting if we don't pass a deal. Tuscan Juncker was saying that June isn't a cliff edge, isn't a cliff edge, but you think it's going to become more of a, a kind of crunch point than they want it to be? I think it will be, won't it? Inevitably. text... Because right. <laughs> they say June first, we're out, aren't we? If if we haven't, if we haven't done the European elections. elections, and if she goes right, well, we haven't got a deal through. Yeah. We're now going to take part in European elections. What happens in the party? Yeah. Which all brings us neatly on to the next bit, right? Okay. Now, in that spiel to the U twenty seven last night on Wednesday night, Theresa May told fellow leaders that Brexit talks with Labour were quotes going well. Now, that might be a bit of spin. But the powwow in Whitehall resumes later today. And when the talks last broke up, though, on Tuesday evening, Labour's Rebecca Long-Bailey said the PM was still refusing to budge from her red lines. Here's a bit of Rebecca Long-Bailey. There's not really been any fundamental shift uh, of a change in position in the deal itself, but we're hopeful that progress will be made. We're continuing discussions with the government over the coming days. Are you optimistic? Do you think a deal is likely? Mr Starmer, is a deal... Michael Gove was a bit more upbeat. The, uh, the talks that we've had with the Labour Party were open and constructive. Both sides engaged seriously on a number of issues. We're looking for a way forward. As you'd expect, there are a number of uh, areas uh, where we differ, um, but we uh, are anxious to ensure that we can carry on with this process. Do you think there will be a deal? Ned, now that the deadline of Friday has been melted away, um, will we get anything out of these talks today or the next few days, do you think? Or will, or will both sides still use that now as an excuse just to say, all right, we'll leave all this hard stuff until after Easter? Yeah, I mean, I think when the, there was a supposed cliff edge of tomorrow to leave, I think it was unlikely they were going to do a deal. Now there's no cliff edge. Now it's October. I don't see any reason why it makes sense for Labour to agree to anything or for Theresa May but also I think they don't want to look like they're the ones that walked away so I think we're going to be stuck in a situation where the talk's ongoing for actually months they're yeah. just stuck in this situation like, like everything I think why would they do a deal there's no reason what do you think Arch? Well, that, that would be interesting wouldn't it It'd be like the early stages of the Brexit talks when 
David Davis and his team would go over for a week and absolutely nothing would happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there's one thing that Leo Varadkar, the Irish PM, said, well, TSOC said something interesting at the summit yesterday, which is he kind of intervened in these talks and yeah. said, do you know what? If Labour want a customs union and they have a say over EU trade policy, because we wouldn't be able to have our own, but we could have a say over the trade deals the EU plus UK has then, you know, we'd be up for it. But to be honest, um, speaking to people in number 10, they, they gave that pretty short shrift. They Did don't they? think Varadka's speaking for the whole of the EU and they, they don't think the likes of Macron will ever allow. That's that really interesting, though. I mean, you're right. I think Macron might not be happy with that. But the fact that Varadka is pushing it and Varadka is a key player in this, I think shows there's a bit of room for manoeuvre. And that's why the customs union thing will inevitably come up after Easter as the first sort of possible compromise. And the question then is... Will the cabinet wear it? Will they, if if Theresa May says, right, I'll I'll stand by a binding vote on a customs union, and if you can somehow get me a majority in that, and that's possible, if a few more ministers quit, if she has a proper free vote and the cabinet ministers are allowed to vote for it, I know at least three cabinet ministers will vote for customs union, um, then you could have a squeaking majority for it. It's not a stable majority, but you could still have something. But would that mean other Brexiteer cabinet ministers quit? And they probably would. Liam Fox would probably go. But she could survive that. The interesting question then is, you know, how does that affect the Tory leadership race? Um, I'm not sure, really, because I think it. The, the, she's got two twin problems. One is sorting out the nitty-gritty. And as you rightly say, Arj, she is so determined to see that through. Um, and on the other hand, she's got a clamour, increasing clamour. And boy, over Easter, they're going to fester. Um to actually say more about an exact time when she'll leave. And I suspect she might have to say, I'll be gone by summer recess. I suspect that might be the next hurdle they set for her. But Interesting, actually. I was speaking to a source close to a Brexiteer cabinet minister last week who was saying that actually some of the Brexiteers in the cabinet now aren't so bothered about this customs union thing. They're just so desperate to yeah. get it over the line. As long as we can leave whatever is agreed, they're more bo- bothered about this Boris lock and... Yeah, binding the hands of future governments. So it'd be and interesting that's true. to see how that plays. Out. And Jeremy Hunt last night on Peston show made clear that, that he just did the statement of the obvious. But the statement of the obvious is any future prime minister, if they get a majority, can do whatever they like, mm-hmm. whether it's Jeremy Corbyn or Boris Johnson or Dominic Raab. So yeah, I think it will be interesting to see whether or not um, they do go for that short-term option. Let's just get out. Let's have a costume student and get out. I would not rule that out. Um, and it'd be interesting. Right, finally, here we go. The quiz, the thing you've all been waiting for. Oh, so, I've never been and on the receiving end it's of this. a quiz yeah, I mean, about yeah. EU summits. So, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Arj, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you, you know, what, what your morning routine was on the train, whether, you know, you managed to, you know, just get a cram in with everyone else and, uh, and whether or not there, there was a guy spraying deodorant apparently on the train who was uh, Pippa Crow was complaining oh, yeah, about this, on the mirror this, pretty much the whole lobby got on the train and just fell asleep straight away <laughs> <laughs> they were disrupted by some chaps spraying his links around anyway um, so here we go EU summits which year did David Cameron deploy the veto in God. an EU summit and why did he do it was it the budget no Nearly, nearly. Was it Juncker? Oh, God, I can't Nearly. Was it rules on taxing banks? Financial You're both nearly taxes. there. It was about, it was in 2011, and it was early on in the Cameron Premiership. Um, it was about a treaty change on the euro, and he vetoed this treaty change, which would have made the euro rule change its rules. And he used the excuse of saying, well, the city banks yeah. will be affected by right. it. Um, 
Everyone yeah. forgets about it, and it was it was grand moment. I, I was there all night, and it was just quite a bizarre moment. And he came back and said, "There you go. I'll, t- I'll tell you what to do." And well, <laughs> the rest is history. Um, anyway, uh, on that in that summit, how many hours did David Cameron go without peeing? Was it five hours, seven hours, or nine hours? Seven. Seven from Ned. I can't say the same, can I? I'm going to go five. It was nine. Nine oh, hours. Wow. That's Burko style sphincter control, that's isn't it? <laughs> oh, that's unbelievable. Anyway, right. Here's another one. Which prime minister was photographed on a bicycle at their first EU summit? And which opt-out did they negotiate at that summit? Um, so it's a bit easy, but a bit hard. Prime minister on, yep. a, bicycle. Bi- on a bicycle. British prime Sounds minister. Like Blair-y. You're right. It was Blair. Uh, 97. In Amsterdam, but which opt-out did Blair... Everyone forgets he negotiated an opt-out at the Amsterdam summit. Euro? No. Is it something to do with security? Nearly. Like Schengen. Schengen. It was Blair that negotiated an opt-out from Schengen in 97. Everyone forgets it. Right. Which year did Margaret Thatcher hammer the table over the British rebate and really get the rebate? She talked about it for years, but which summit did she finally... 85? Ooh, close. Four? Four. 84. Fontainebleau. <laughs> French I wasn't summit. even born by the Oh, time. my <laughs> God. <Arch. laughs> yeah, now I feel old. <laughs> my God. Right. Um, and at that summit, which country's prime minister presently said it would be a great relief if Britain just left the EEC after Thatcher got her way on the Got to be France. Nope. Ooh, not France. Okay. But a bit further east. And this is 84. I've said mine. I've given you two good clues there. Greece. Greece. Oh, Greece oh. of all countries. The Greek PM, Papandreou. Greek were playing hardball yeah, last amazing. night. So they were one of the very few countries that were on kind of Macron's side yeah. and playing hardball last night. So they've got history, obviously. Yeah. Now, which sport did John Major deploy at the 91 Maastricht Summit to declare victory? Which sporting records did he make? Good shout. Nice try, but wrong. Ah. So he used a sporting reference to declare victory. victory. This is Maastricht, don't forget. The one that caused him all yeah. the trouble. This is before the votes, but this is Maastricht Summit, where the Maastricht Treaty was signed. Um, Man of the people, isn't he, John Major? He said, it's been game, set and match ah, to Britain. Yes. Tennis. Right, OK, that's enough of that quiz. I think you both did terribly, <laughs> but so did I. Right, anyway, so let's round off this week with that amazing quote from who else but Marc Francois, citing a poem by Tennyson. Goodbye. Though much is taken, much abides. And though we are not now that strength which in old days moved earth and heaven, that which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak, by time and fate, but strong in will, to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield.